Hello and welcome to Unfiltered, an intellectual podcast. Okay, so I've just noticed something recently that I would like to discuss with the the Trump administration. And um, so it began with Donald Trump. But the thing is, what a lot of people that are related to his administration or that are promoting the values on television, what they have in common is that they have one, very strong personalities, and two, they're very truthful people. And that's very important when they interface with the media. So what I've noticed over a long period of time is that the media, with their leading questions, are always trying to frame um, their interviews. And people with more agreeable personalities and who may not be so staunch on saying things as they are or, or discussing the truth are more likely to fall into that frame. And so when the viewer watches that dynamic, they don't really see the framing going on. It just looks like this is a real conversation and that things are shifting in the way that the media is going. So the media is basically tilting uh, or tipping the viewer's perception toward having certain conclusions. And they're very successful at doing this. And you look at the Republican establishment, they would just be dragged along and they look like racists or bigots or sexists, even when they weren't, because the media was so skilled at framing them. Right. And so this was a big problem. The Republicans had no real defense for this. And some people felt like Republicans couldn't win future elections because they're going up against this very powerful machine that was highly skilled at constructing the narrative. And nobody was able to beat it. Yeah. Think about it. The GOP was fighting the gentleman's game, the gentleman's rules. And there was a completely different realm of competition they were faced against. They were essentially on the bottom floor while the left and the progressives and the mainstream media was on the roof and everything was against them you know all, all they, they were promoting themselves but they weren't able to really deal with this narrative play this framing game and so the thing is when uh trump came along and tr- the people that trump has around him they had one very strong personalities so they don't like being framed if anything they like to frame an issue yeah you don't have people like bill crystal or george bill who are, who are as entertaining as watching paint dry right and so that's the personality right it comes across it's very strong and that it just emerges from them and so it's very difficult to move and frame that personality and they're not very agreeable they'll they're they may be they'll say things as they feel they need to be even if it won't you know placate the other side right so that's one thing. And the second thing is they are committed to truth and saying things as they are. And they're, they're straight talkers. And that's it's very refreshing to viewers, but that goes right in the face of the media, who was one, trying to frame them and trying to move the narrative in a different direction that was not truthful, right? They have an agenda. They have an agenda and they're right. moving that agenda through, the, through framing in, in the narrative. So these two uh, traits basically break the frame. And the thing is, when people were watching the media, they I don't think many people were aware of the frame because they were so successful in doing it. It just people would watch it. It was just like reality was was playing out. It was like this was a foregone conclusion. These people were on the wrong side of history, let's say. And the, the media was just exposing them. And now when the media is challenged, people are, are now have a question which frame is correct. And more importantly, they can see that the framing process is going on because now it's a battle space. And you can see that the media is attempting to frame and and the Trump administration is attempting to frame. And now people have a choice. What's real? But as I said, more importantly, they can see that a, a very complex and uh, in, uh, framing process is going on. And that's the most important thing. You know, that's where 
uh, this political correctness narrative is being shattered by the Trump administration. Yeah, you think about the media back then. You have someone who's in a suit, is talking in a very elevated manner, and they're saying, "This is these are what the facts are, this is why this other side is wrong, and this is why you should start thinking like this. Or they're making jokes, you know, with uh, Colbert Report. Or, or these yeah. kind of things. Yeah, and you you have this mainstream narrative that people who watch Fox News, Fox News and people who are on the right, they're inbred idiots. You don't want to be an inbred right. idiot, do right. you? It's a complete frame. And Republicans aren't that way. If anything, Republicans are uh, very conscientious people, um, very good, very decent, very moral people. They're good, ideal citizens, right? But the way they are framed is just backwards Looney Tunes, which is actually describes the left a lot better than it describes the right. And that's just factual. But they were so capable and consistent in this framing. And the Republicans were so incapable of defending themselves that most of uh, America or the audience watching took that to be the case. And it became just, it seemed to be obvious. It was self-evident. You know? Yeah, instead of having the idea of rural people being hardworking, have strong moral values, care about their community, what happened was that the media turned the frame so you have this rural hick, he's an idiot, oh, you believe in God, what are you, a fool? So and you they're using stereotyping and bigotry to push this, which is completely contradictory, and that's not the point of this content uh, podcast, they are completely contradictory, they are lying all the time, what they do is terrible. Right. Yes. So you have they build up this image so they can push whatever their agenda is. Right. And then you have Trump. He comes in and he's like, well, I'm not as as shifty as that. I'm going to come in with my I'm very authentic. I'm going to say what's in my heart. And I believe in this type of hardworking rural American. And this goes against what the and narrative people was. People want that, you know, because I think cognitively they're watching the media and it was so convincing that they're deeper instincts were, I guess, betrayed. They, they were intimidated because it, it was so convincing. It was so omnipresent. And the penalties for for expressing the way you really felt um, were very high. Shaming, you could lose your job. You would essentially be cast away from society. Ostracization is a very powerful tool. Extremely powerful. It's yeah. one of the most powerful in, in human history. Yeah, that, think that about that it. The church used excommunication. And if you're excommunicated from the church back then, that was... Your life was over. Society is created by humans cooperating, right? Exactly. Without that, we're completely vulnerable. And we know that at a very deep instinctual level. And so we, we respond with tremendous pain and fear when we face ostracization because that meant death, right? So our, yeah. our deeper uh, our, our deeper biology fears that. And so it's, it's a very powerful weapon. And they wielded that with, with incredible uh, sophistication and capacity. Yeah, and the right? goalposts kept moving. So there was no idea of objective morality. There were no object set of values that you could just follow. Those values kept changing. I mean, just look at how gay marriage was thought of skeptically over 10 years ago, yeah. and now you have a big push for LGBTQIA+. Yeah, and yeah, and people want those values. We need to have laws or values they that want are unchanging. Values. Yeah, we, and, and that and that's consistent that, too. That, that's what Trump brought along. He was largely consistent on what his values were. A couple of positions, yes, he did change. But you talk about trade, for example. He was very consistent on and on ringing alarm bells that he was concerned about what was going on with U.S. trade with Japan in the '80s and '90s, and now with China. Right. So he's consistent with that. 
and people respect that type of consistency. He's consistent morally, right? His yeah. values have been consistent. Yeah, the goalposts are not changing on his on his moral values. And that's what we need. I, I think people need that sense of stability. Yeah, we want novelty, we want new things, but when things are always moving, that's very disquieting. And that means you have to continually adapt, continually adapt, and it's difficult to know what's right or wrong. It's difficult to interact coherently. And so I think there was always a market for this kind of uh, stability. Um, that was was tapped by Trump. I think you, when you think about someone who's authentic, you're going to associate them as someone who's more likely to be trustworthy. They're trustworthy. You can trust what their words mean. Whereas if you think about what the media narrative is, it's always shifting. It's always shifting. So you don't know if necessarily what they're saying is authentic or are they really just twisting their words in a way to make you believe in a certain issue in a certain way. And it leads to inauthenticity because as you're watching this, you're, sacri- you're betraying yourself because you have your own opinions that you acquired from, from real life experience. But when you see this coordinated messaging um, and you're intimidated to, you have two options. One, you can integrate into that system or two, you can, uh, I guess, rebel against it and, and be authentic to yourself. But when it's so pervasive and so powerful and the, the, uh, the threat of sanction right, is so high, um, if you don't do it, you're abused in some way. Um, people tend to do that and they tend to betray themselves. And that's not a good place to be, you know, it's, it's a repressed place to be. And I think um, Trump really has released this repression. People were looking for this kind of thing, but they just couldn't see a way out. The media was was really powerful. Yeah, the, but the people really wanted was a brawler. You know, they, I think people had... They needed been, a brawler. They needed a brawler. Because if you think about the past, you know, they didn't like what the Democrats and what the left were offering them. So that's why they continued to vote for the GOP. But then they realized the GOP was not that effective. It wasn't offering them that either. It was moving the same way. The goalposts were moving with the GOP and with the Democrats. Yeah, you weren't getting what you wanted. And then Trump comes along and he starts to say things. He's giving you what you want. Yeah, Trump started saying things that people were thinking or were discussing privately. But they didn't want to talk about it publicly. Or even afraid to discuss privately. Yeah, afraid to discuss it privately. And... What happened when Trump started coming out and talking about it, they're like, I think some I of the... I feel that's correct. I feel that's correct. That's correct. I think that what he is saying, I want to say that as well. And I didn't say that before because I was afraid of media and this PC culture coming and shaming me, yeah. ostracizing me from society, potentially affecting my employment status. And I want to live in the world that he's talking about. I don't like this world that I'm living in, but yeah. I feel I have no choice. Yeah, because I can't say anything against it. That's right. And you have Trump, he comes out, he starts saying it he's in a very authentic people and people get immediately attached to that it's painful it's people are repressed you know and that's that's painful and that's certainly not american but they were the the media was convincing you know the audience that it's un-american to uh, oppose them essentially yeah (laughs) yeah but how how could you be against the free press yeah it's like well we're not against the free press but how free is the press they're only pushing one narrative yeah this is an oligopoly and they're they're coordinated and they're pushing one. There's no there's no marketplace of ideas in this press. That's what we want. Yeah, we, we and want you, that. And if you think what Trump brought about, because he started saying what was thought of as controversial issues and had these controversial statements, people started to really identify because that's what they were thinking as well. And because of that, people were wondering, say, okay, so if I'm only getting one type of information from the media, where else can I go to get other more maybe more objective? Right. Information and this is what really helped boost alternative media. It brought the alternative media into the mainstream. Yeah, before, alternative media is getting more hits and more ratings than certain shows. 
take a look at nine eleven truthers and uh, Illuminati conspiracy theorists. Right? They're skeptics. Yeah, they're skeptics, right? Yeah. But it was in the media. But, but what they were looking for is truth, an alternative explanation to the mainstream media, whether it's true or not. It looks completely kooky on the surface, but it's the the audience. It's a desire to have truth, right? And so that was there. And Ron Paul was tapping this in in a much more sophisticated and accurate way. You had uh, Andrew Breitbart who who was driving this narrative. Yeah, yeah. And he was Andrew Breitbart really exposed to people that you have to think about culture as the highest level of discourse, and politics is a der- derivative of. Of culture, and the thing is, who's controlling the culture? Because the culture, it's wonderful it's, if it's organic and spontaneous, and it's responding to real stimulus. So if there's a problem, people experience this problem, and they change their interaction in order to solve the problem, and that changes a culture that's healthy. That's evolution that's been happening forever, right? But in this case, that process was not happening because the media was driving the culture, because they're exposed to the media far more often and far more consistently across you know multiple people or multiple social interactions. Um, than they were exposed to, you know, any other uh, stimuli. And that was actually perverting this natural cultural process of adapting to change. Think about how you're absorbing popular culture. You have TV, you have movies, and then you have social media. Right. And they're producing their own video content on social media. You have these interest groups. And so then people get sucked into this one, this group think, yeah, I'm thinking that thing. whatever this media narrative is, this is the correct way to think. And so, for example, say immigration is causing real problems for people, right? Um, Driving we, down wages. Wages are going down. Uh, housing is going up. Crime is going up. You name it. They're having real problems. But when they look to the media, when they're watching the media, they get, they're receiving signals that complaining about this is absolutely impossible you cannot do that because that's, you you're going to be labeled a xenophobe that's right you'll but, be ostracized yeah but it's the not, idea is that the whole point of having freedom of speech right where america was founded on this idea that we should have this healthy discourse of ideas and right. and if someone is selling you a bag of goods as this is only going to be great there's you're, no side effects they're like a snake oil salesman but you have to have frank conversations like yeah sure i'm sure there's some immigration that's very useful yeah people bringing in their innovations over here but let's talk about the group of immigrants who are also not beneficial to our society. But so that would not cause dissonance, right? So if the media was saying that immigration is a good thing and they weren't threatening you, they should not be threatening you if you have the opposite opinion. But if they're promoting it and your experience with immigration is positive, that's fine, right? But if your experience is negative and you feel that you can't express that because the media is, is making that impossible in so many ways... Um, that's a problem, and that's preventing culture and democracy from operating naturally. Think about it like this. Remember when CNN was threatening to dox? Like they actually had, supposedly had this kid's information, and that was when uh, Trump had retweeted that exactly. that uh, gif of uh, him and the WWE taking down CNN, right. and CNN had, had doxed the author. And they were threatening, we're going to release the information, and this is going to ruin your the rest of your life. Right. And that's an extremely direct example. But other ones are that if you bring up a Republican that may be anti-immigration, uh, he's on a panel of six people, and they all respond to him as if he's he's scum. He, he's he's below. You, you dirty xenophobe. Yeah, that that conditions people watching um, to believe that those opinions, or if you express those opinions in public, the outcome will be like that. So people tend not to express them. But the thing is, so if immigration is negative impact, negatively impacting people. Um, you need to have free speech as a mechanism where they can express themselves so you can change the policy so that people aren't suffering. That's how democracy kind of self-writes and why freedom of speech is so important. 
and the media was completely violating that principle and that so it, it, it was it was perverting it, it, was, it was really bad so it created this repression um, that Trump was able to break through and if you think about it people like you or me or normal people the threat of uh, ostracization was so high that we can't really take that risk but we felt the pain right we just couldn't address it it took somebody like Trump or somebody that was very powerful that was above financial sanction um he didn't have any donors like where you think about a lot of these politicians they're gonna warp what they say to fit in line with what their donors want them to say because you can't yeah. run for re-election if you don't have any a strong financial backer absolutely and they tried to hit him too they, yeah. they tried to boycott his ties in macy's and um, some of his hotels there are quite a few instances where they tried to hit him economically just like they try to hit anybody else however he was too big and he was developing a base too fast because the repression was already there and he was able yeah. to tap it it was coming up like oil and when people start you know? attacking your hero you're going to become even more attached to that person absolutely and, and he is represent his battle is representative of the battle that you would have he, you're living vicariously f through this guy yeah that's why know? he could go out and make that joke like i could go stand out in the middle of fifth right. avenue start shooting people and yeah. i want to lose any supporters absolutely because he's so powerful and so necessary so and the media was fighting so hard against him yeah so we needed somebody that was at that level of status and social buoyancy and he had that kind of long long reputation um, in order he was to, fearless. In and he was sense. fearless. Yeah, you needed somebody of that kind of boldness. And that, that brings me to the point of what we see a, a new kind of pattern happening. Um, he had that boldness. He, he had um, the strength of character, the personality that w he, he was a framer. He wouldn't allow the media to frame him. And he was a truth teller. He always said, it as, said what he thought. Right? Yeah, and he, he didn't back down. Like, the media tried to shame him. He wouldn't back down like a Paul Ryan or a typical establishment Republican. Right. Paul Trump, Ryan would, would, get... Trump would hold ground and say, no, I really meant that. Yeah, that, that's what I said was correct. Yes. <laughs> you know? And that's the truth. And the media couldn't handle it. And they tried to hit him so hard. Yeah, but they, they think about it like this. When, uh, you know, you have this all sides comments. Like when he was saying, yes, the... The communists, Antifa, are bad, but, you know, whoever these neo-Nazis show up, exactly. they're bad, too. Right. And then the media says, like, he didn't specifically call out uh, white supremacists. He just said, all sides. What are these all sides? Yeah, it's like, exactly. And then you have Mitt Romney saying, like, whoever is opposing fascism, like, the, the Antifa, they're, they're actually freedom fighters. And then you have all this violence from Antifa going on and, and people start realizing, I don't really like Antifa. And the, the public uh, support for Antifa starts to dwindle. And then you have Nancy Pelosi come out and say, like, we condemn in the strongest possible terms Antifa. And then uh, the ultimate is when you have Trevor Noah going out and saying, we don't, yeah. we don't like Antifa anymore. And, and that is shifting the narrative. And see, that's what happened. Trump stood his ground. He said, no, I firmly believe that both sides we have problems we have violence coming from both sides he stood his ground and the media was trying to fight back at him but he held his ground and then they eventually had to yield and honesty is our is is our weapon in a sense but honesty is what we really need to do um, and we have to have the strength to to speak for honesty um, and that's what they were able to take away from us for so long but now you're seeing um, with the success of this it's a new trend right so the people that Trump surrounds himself with. If we look at uh, Scaramucci, um, Sarah yeah. Huckabee Sanders, Steve Bannon, um, also Joe Apayo, yeah, uh, Sebastian, Sebastian Gorka. Gorka, 
Even Tucker Carlson is a new, uh, he's representing this new movement, Milo Yiannopoulos. Um, it goes on and on, right? Jordan Peterson. There are people that speak honestly. They're unfiltered, right? Yeah, And they are. And, it, and more and more people are becoming like this. It's it be, I, So I guess what I'm trying to say is we had to begin, if we're describing this phenomenon, we had to begin with people of very strong character and who were very frank. And, and Trump surrounded and himself with these people. fearless of the consequences. Right. And so they were able to expose the framing of the media. And now that people, the, the media kind of lost its, its, I don't know. Its edge. Think about like when Sebastian Gorka would go on CNN and he would start mocking oh my God, Anderson Cooper. It's like, oh, Anderson, you're getting less ratings than Nick at Night, a cartoon show. And you're the news. Sebastian <laughs> he, Gorka was a heavyweight. He goes in, he just, he, he does like, in a figurative sense, he knocks him out. Every exchange is a Every exchange. Knockout. And the reason why probably why those stingers are so popular one is that they're accurate yeah. and they're hilarious and they're funny too and if you can combine the truth with comedy yeah. that's going to spread like wildfire it's and that's why Gorka was so effective in the media that's and right. he had turned the tables Anderson tries to frame him in a certain way and Gorka strikes back and says no 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 Anderson this is what we're going to be talking that's about that's right and they tried to take that away from us our comedy because comedy is a weapon and they would use that to slander the GOP all the time but our comedy, when we would make fun of them, would be politically incorrect, right? It would be extremely politically incorrect. And, and these guys and they would don't get offended. Care. That's <laughs> right. They get offended and then they slander you. They coordinate and, and everybody would decry you. Everybody would condemn you. And that's it. You're, and then you have a figure over. like Milo Yiannopoulos come out and say, well, if you can take a dick, then you can take a joke. That's right. <laughs> and that's what we need. We need this kind of brashness in, in the current situation in order to gain our free speech back. And it may not be orderly, it may not be be in great taste all the time, but it's absolutely necessary because we haven't found anything that's able to break this monopoly on, on narrative. No. And the cool thing is now that the narrative is fragmenting, you're getting more and more people of a similar personality that are able to battle the media by their innate virtue and character. Um, it's becoming okay for normal people um, to emulate them, to push, to forward their own narrative. Yeah, think about the different personalities you have. You have a Sebastian Gorka who is a very proper person he comes out with this british accent he sounds very elevated relative to who his adversary is and he comes out with the in a sense like a very proper line of argument and then you have a milo yiannopoulos he also has great arguments yes. but he portrays himself in such a flamboyant manner yeah. that he, he brings this great comedy value to yeah it. He, it's humorous like you you understand his arguments and they make sense but he's also humorous in the way he presents his arguments, which is why that why Milo is incredibly popular on college campuses. He's willing, winning the hearts and minds of the young generation, the millennials and Generation Z. Absolutely. And, and so the cool thing is, I think this is the beginning of a mass culture. So we had mass followers during the election um, because that repression was being tapped and people wouldn't talk too much about being Trump supporters unless they were with other Trump supporters, but no, they would do it. We definitely couldn't talk about it at work. It's terrible. It was it's tough impossible. because you would you bring it up at work and people start laughing at you like, oh my God, you believe it, you believe that Trump's going to win? And like, what do people say? They use the talking points that they see on CNN. They're always abusive He's a racist. Remarks. He's a xenophobe. Right. And they apply. He hates women. Right. And they apply these things to you as if you're just like that. But they're, they're word for word often talking points that we saw on CNN. And that was evidence of them winning the narrative or controlling the narrative at the time and we weren't really able to speak properly but i think that's changing because as you said we have such a diversity of different kinds of characters 
um, at the top that are successfully battling those media yeah, frames. What, and the way I think they're successfully battling is that they're forcing people to not just do this first order level of thinking, whatever the media is telling you is correct. What they're forcing people is to engage in second order thinking. Right. And so that forces you to, to analyze, okay, this is what the media is telling me. Why are they telling me this? Is this correct? Uh, why why should why should I believe what they have to say? And this is how I feel, and this is how I've always felt. But I don't feel crazy anymore because the media was kind of a reflection of the world, and they look at it, and it was quite consistent. And they'd say, "I feel this way," but it seems like nobody else feel nobody in the media feels this way, or what I'm watching on TV is real, and it, that isn't that way. And I don't feel like I can discuss it with other people, and, right? And maybe like the only. Uh, other source of information, the opposing view could have been like uh, an info or so. Well, they have some good analysis. Sometimes, it's out sometimes, there. sometimes they go it's off the deep out end, there. and so people don't necessarily want to be associated with that because the media had framed Infowars as conspiracy theorists. Uh, it's, it's not consistent. It's, there's it's no not, con continuity between you know the way normal people might feel and the style of delivery that's an infowar. Now yeah. you have so many different characters that you can bridge these gaps. All kinds of different personalities can connect to their feelings and their intuitions and express them in a variety of manners any way that they choose. Yeah, and that's I, the connection and, and of and a I culture. Think, and I think infowars has been able to successfully tap uh, the shift with you know Roger Stone and you have Paul Joseph Watson. These are people who are provide a lot more of a proper style of analysis right. and like alex jones does provide some good analysis but i think what turns him off uh, what turns some mainstream people off to him is that you know in his comedy and the way he's delivering his message sometimes people's like oh this guy's really gone off the deep end yeah and but, which is but, funny which is funny and it's enjoyable it's like and the analysis and, is still good yeah you it's don't, very yeah, good you don't have to agree with everything he has to say but and the just rapping the candy wrapper is kind of crazy yeah and so, so you may people, not you may not yeah, always appreciate that but that doesn't necessarily mean that it doesn't have good arguments and good analysis of what's going on but now that's being cross-pollinated with a milo um or with a stefan molyneux or even a jordan peterson which takes the academic established approach you know he's a man of, of great credentials you know so you're seeing a diversity of voices that are connecting these narratives and so now you can move you can enter it at any place you can enter it maybe with a peterson or a Molyneux, and then you can move around and you're being exposed to it. And yeah, there are different personalities. There are different kinds of people and it's who good. are connecting to a real narrative. Yeah, absolutely. It, and that's the healthy part. There isn't necessarily a group think. We're all, in a sense, united by our belief in right-wing po uh, populism and pure Americana, but we have disagreements. That's right. In different styles of approaching it, whereas before you had only a few lone voices, you know, maybe Ron Paul, who's somewhat mainstream, but he's a little bit out there, or you had an Alex Jones talking about 9-11. And so you might have agreed with some of the analysis that Alex Jones has, if you even entered it. You might see Alex Jones be like, yeah, forget that guy. Yeah, yeah. Media right? says he's a crazy person. Why yeah. should I listen But to if him? you listen, I feel the same way. I mean, I am so thankful for what he does, right? I think he's very good at it. But many times, you know, I, I would dip in and I'd be like, yeah, this is, this is crazy for me. But when I, when I gave it a shot, I was listening especially during the election he was the only guy that was or one of the few guys that was really covering it in depth and, and with very good analysis yeah and I, I listen I, to it frequently yeah, because yeah. i get good content infowars did a great job with content during the election and yeah. that, i think that also what happened is you saw breitbart's popularity skyrocket yeah because they were also covering trump certainly they had their editorial uh bias and saying that they were very pro-Trump, right. but I think they provided a little bit more fair coverage of what he, what Trump was talking about. Right. And they hit issues that nobody else will hit that are real issues, you know? And so, yeah, it's wonderful to see this kind of connectivity among many different personalities 
that allows common normal people who might not have explored these issues or were intimidated to do so or didn't even see them and now the curiosity is piqued by the omnipresence of Trump, they can enter in all kinds of different ways. Um, and they can start being exposed to this massive uh, undercurrent of ideas, which is um, opposed to the status quo of this political correctness and this really nasty, horrid system of social control that we weren't able to see very clearly before. Yeah, and I think uh, Paul Joseph Watson does a good job of saying that conservatism is the new counterculture. Let's think about what the mainstream culture is now. It's political correctness. You have to believe that there are 50 plus genders out there and it takes no courage yeah takes no courage yeah you had to socialism is the correct way america is a hateful racist xenophobic country and young people like opposition they like to go against the grain and the conservatives have now come out with in saying it's like questioning that are we really a racist hateful country how many genders are there really they start questioning and they start getting shut down for this type of questioning. Right. And you can compare it to punk. Punk was a statement against the man. And conservatism is now making that statement against the man. The man right. has, has in some much shifted in what, what are so the accepta- acceptable values. It's so it's so bizarre because the, the whole ethos of this, this cultural Marxism, leftism, is about victimhood. You know, and now victimhood is completely insulated from any victimization. They are victimizing, and they have been for some time. Yeah, but you're only they part of the, the protected class if you subscribe to the values. Yeah, exactly. And, and yeah. so, I mean, you have Milo, who's a who's a gay man, but he's absolutely abhorrent. But we have to left. start with Milo, you know, because you know he he was insulated from charges of uh, uh bigotry or homophobia because he had that or racism right and so we had to start with him they were always false charges but he was inoculated against those charges because it was it created that dissonance that we're looking at when they try to frame him people would say and he would respond you know i i only date black guys you know people would be like okay so he can't be a homophobe and he can't be a racist I'll you know, try to make him into those. Just, but he's but, the leader of the alt-right, right? Yeah. He's the leader of the white supremacists. Yes, because the white supremacists are so much in favor of, of a gay Jew. Yeah, you get the dissonance. So someone's lying. So if he was a straight guy and he hung out with mostly white people, maybe because of his zip code, it doesn't matter, right? It's, it's completely inconsequential. But it might be a plausible narrative when they try to frame him. People might just say, oh, well, he's probably just a racist and we shouldn't listen to him because everybody's saying we shouldn't listen to him. And then they, and then those who are the detractors of Milo start going off the deep end where you have Maxine Waters calling Ben Carson yeah. a white supremacist. And they double down. Thank yeah. you for doubling that's down. The, you think about it, it's like you go back to what the Chappelle show and Clayton Bigsby and that skit of the, yeah. of, the, of the blind black white supremacist. And now they're trying to turn that into reality by saying, oh, Ben Carson is a white supremacist. Yeah. And, it, it, and it's so racial. It, it's, it's so ironic because they're so against racism, but this is pure racism. Because he's a black guy, he has to yeah. have a certain set of beliefs. It's not an authentic viewpoint. If yeah. you think about it, they come out, it's... We're not individuals, aren't they? Yeah. Always talking about don't judge a person by their skin color, but who they are. Yeah. Right? And you can't judge Ben Carson by who he is. You have to judge him by his skin yeah. color. And, and it's like, well, aren't, aren't the left, aren't the Democrats supposed to believe in this Martin Luther yeah. King idea of, as you were saying, ju- judge a person by his character, not the color of their skin. Right. But now it's shifting to you should judge someone by the color of their skin, not their character. Yeah. And it's completely convoluted. And people are 
are able to see that the the frame is completely in it's internally incoherent. And yeah, the amount of mental now. gymnastics you'd have to do, you would absolutely dominate the Olympics. So if gold you think medal about it, every Olympics. If mark you think my words. about it, right? If you're forced to think about what they're telling you, you have to go through mental gymnastics, and it becomes impossible. Second if, order thinking, you'd say like this is so logically inconsistent. This right. makes no sense. Yeah. But if, if when, so when they had a unified message and everyone was saying the same thing, nobody was thinking about it critically and they were giving you very clear signals that if you do think about it criti crit critically, you'll be penalized with very, uh, very deep order, um, you know, emotions, right? So they're saying, we're going to ostracize you. That's... Which is why Alex Jones is making the argument, you have these people on the left, they're all dumbed down. Yeah, totally. Because they're not thinking they critically. They have to be, because if, if they weren't, if they were critically evaluating what they saw... Um, they would never subscribe to. And the great irony is that you have all these college-educated people, some people who are very intelligent, right. but they turn off their critical thinking when it comes to these, some of these issues. Totally. And, and that's the worst thing for democracy, and that's why what they're pushing is a totalitarian system. Because they're, they're, it's, you know, it might as well be North Korea. Yeah, you, you buy into the state-run propaganda, and it's like, if the, like in 1984, they're talking about, it's like, well, if something was inconsistent in the past, they'd go back to all the records, scrub it out, yeah. and say, like, we've always been consistent on this issue. Yeah, the leadership doesn't have to do any work in being correct. They just push the propaganda, and that, that defeats this cultural uh, mechanism that democracy uh, is able to work with. So... Um, when people are discussing issues, new information comes up and policy changes as a result of this uh, decentralized experience, right? Uh, whereas a totalitarian system, um, that is, you, you'll go right to the gulag. That, that experience is completely repressed if it's not in line. No skepticism the allowed. And the weird thing is that liberals tend to fall, uh, they tend to be very open, right? Now, mm. this system is not open, but psychologically analyzed, o open they tend to be highest openness. Right? Right. Uh, oh, actually, disagreeability. Okay. Um, the conservatives are more likely to be agreeable. And this is, I'm referencing Peterson. And if you want a more, you know, in-depth discussion of this, Peterson's excellent. But um, th that's the ironic thing, because um, the leftism is a very closed-minded totalitarian system where uh, questioning the authority is, is impossible, right? Uh, however, most of its followers, people on the left, tend to be more open, creative types. So it's a complete, there's, there's a, there's a, a dissonance, dissonance there. Yeah. yeah. And um, I think that's wonderful because it, they're living with these kind of contradictions. They're living, the fundamentals aren't right. You know, whereas conservatism, the fundamentals are pretty good because people that are conservatives are high in conscientiousness. Um, they're uh, high in, uh, I believe, agreeableness. Um, and so there's a, it, it's synchronized. So it's very solid. Whereas here, all we have to do is kind of expose the rift. And, and if we can illustrate the fact that the, the leadership in the left is, is oppressive to the natural instincts of their followers, which is to be open and to explore, uh, they can't really maintain because they're, they're automatically at conflict with, um, with their base. And so I think they're a lot weaker than they appear. And they just appear very powerful because they still control the major institutions. Yeah, exactly. Know? If you think about it, and I think the right is starting to push this frame onto the left that the Democrats are now the party of Antifa, of Marxism, of communism. Right. Whereas the left and the mainstream is still trying to portray themselves as, oh, we're the moderates. Yeah. Believe in us. Why would you, if you, if you disagree with us, are you really wanting to be associated with the racists and the xenophobes? And if you want to think freely, listen to Milo. You know, if you want to have conversation that 
that is wide ranging and curious, if you have a high degree of openness and you want new information so you can expand and grow, um, the left isn't going to give you that. They're going to give you a, a pre a developed narrative that, you know, shifting from that narrative is, hate is, speech. is yeah, it's hate speech. And you hate speech is it. not free speech. Okay. Free speech only applies if you agree with me. If you don't, you're a, you're a hate monger. That's right. And you know, so I guess the deeper principle of what they appeal to is insecurity. You know, it's a kind of a character weakness, right? Because we just discussed how very strong characters are able to break the mold. So I guess on the left, they're really hitting a deeper, more animal fear of, of exclusion. I mean, we brought this up when we attended the Boston Free Speech Rally. Yeah. And we saw that it was all essentially leftists over there. And you think of it and you start to view, you can see, judging a book by its cover, but it seems like a lot of these people were not... Uh, uh, successful in the economic sense they probably may they could still be students but they it also seems like they're kind of working low-end retail jobs they weren't developed academically or intellectually the conversation was very low level and very naive and they could be kids who are probably outcasts or bullied when they were young and now instead of having the uh, playground bully capitalism capitalism is the new bully right and so they put their faith in in the left and in the state they're promising in the Marxism, fear, this, yeah. to go fight back against their bully. The fear that the absolutely, and the fear that the left wields um, is enough to keep them coherent, and, and it violates their openness. But what if there was an alternative where you wouldn't be kept in line by fear? You you wouldn't face ostracization, which is probably what they're really afraid of in, in many ways. You know, um, yeah. But if and you, you don't express have, your you openness, it's your a better are. deal. You know, yeah, yeah, it's a better deal, and I, I think that's starting to happen. Um, and another thing is, I guess they liked the idea of stability, right? Because the left was invulnerable for a long time. And yeah. so th- that would make them impervious to attack. And that would enable them to attack people without getting attacked back because people were essentially restrained. If it yeah. wasn't along the politically correct narrative, you could attack them. And if they attacked back, that was horrible. And that's why they freaked out when Trump would fire back. Because that was part of the narrative. You could not attack back. Yeah, and you see these memes of you know of CNN or the other mainstream media saying, Trump's a racist, and then he Trump is as uh, characterized as banned. He's like, you think that makes you powerful? Yeah. And he's like, he's impervious to all these attacks. Totally. Yeah, and so um, I think that's going to weaken the left's hold over their um, followers because they're no longer for. In, you can't just in, use ad hominems to scare away your enemies. Yeah, they're no longer impervious to attack, and that's increasing. Dramatically, and it will continue to increase for the next four, most likely eight, and maybe more years. So the le- that that's what gave the left power and these kind of ostracized people from common society. Uh, they they moved into this position of victimhood and invulnerability, and now they'll be vulnerable again. So where are they going to go? So and if if we appeal to their openness, um, we have an attractive deal, and why not? Yeah. You know, if you want, we like people that think, and you mm. can grow as a person, and that's good. That's healthy. You know, and so I think we can offer them a better deal and the, the deal that the Democrats or the, the left is offering will no longer be on the table because they're no longer able to protect them. Yeah, you, you know? have to. Yeah, it's not even protecting them, but you also have to remember is, that a lot, of, a lot of great Marxist thinkers are saying you, know, you have to have a large group of useful idiots to go That's fight right. the war for you. That's right. But as this whole leftist paradigm of we need to cut everyone off by race, victim class and those, we essentially invert the power structures. Those who are at the bottom, the most victimized, now at the top. Right. And now you see it's like, well, 
if I want to associate with the left, it doesn't like no matter what you do as a white person, you're always wrong. You're always hateful. You should give right. you should give the most oppressed class all of your money, all your opportunities, and then it starts. They ended up ostracizing their own people, their supporters, because some of the supporters start saying, "Wait, I'm a white person, but why? Like, I'm doing all these things right, and I think I'm trying to appease you, but you're still rejecting me." And that's t- as, that's as, not, as some yeah, of them start absolutely. to critically think, like. What am I really believing in? Right. They start to distance themselves from the movement. I mean, you see this with Lacey Gray, and she was like really hardline leftist. Or they turn black, like the end of P. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Sean, Sean King is his name. <laughs> he, he, he becomes transracial. <laughs> no, woman, Ra- Rachel Dolezal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She, she, yeah. <laughs> she became uh, multiracial. She yeah. was just she was moving up the higher uh, the social hierarchy. Yeah, but the point is with Lacey Green, she's a really hardline leftist, and then I guess she started dating Steve Raygun, who was this uh, conservative guy, and then she started getting red pilled on the issues, and then she started posing these questions. She's, she's like, "Why can't we talk to conservatives? Why can't we start?" questioning what's going on in this feminist movement right. and instead of people of movement saying yeah you know what maybe we should do that they started ostracizing her it's like how dare you question that why would you ever want to engage with misogynists and she was slowly getting pushed back and away from the movement and i'm sure some of her followers probably got red pill from that and started realizing what the heck am i believing in who am i really following yeah and the thing is though i think they got that protection i think i i, I think that's key right and they, they were looking for that their whole lives and they found a group that will accept them and that will protect them and allow them to engage in vicious assaults on other people, which is kind of a primitive desire. That group can no longer do that. You can't yeah. engage in those vicious assaults because they're wrong, but you can't do it. Yeah. And and that's increasingly becoming true. And you won't be protected from retaliation. And it's starting to backfire. So let's take, for example, PewDiePie. This guy is probably one of the most popular YouTubers out there. He is. Million, number one. Millions, tens of millions of, of subscribers. Yeah. And then I think it was the Wall Street Journal came out with a report accusing him of being a neo-Nazi because he did a couple of joke videos. And then he comes out and he starts slamming the Wall Street Journal. It's like, how dare it's like, this is just a joke. And he starts to red pill all of his followers. And now you have tens of millions of people, predominantly young people and a lot of people who are under 18 saying, this PewDiePie guy is right. This is like the media was trying to essentially punch back and rein in PewDiePie so he has correct opinions. Yeah. And PewDiePie went and struck back and yeah. started to break down the narrative. And like their attack, they thought would be effective, but actually backfired. Which on is the them. same with fake news. They tried to slander Alex Jones, who was the primary you know, target for fake news. Um, and it turned out that they were the biggest you know, uh, uh, offenders. They were the biggest creators of fake news, the fake news media. And so... <laughs> and they're so inauthentic in that, yeah. in that sense. They, and, yeah, they thought it would be easy. So I guess with the, the case with PewDiePie is that he, he just has such a massive following. I mean, he's probably... Yeah, and he wasn't that outrageous of a person. Absolutely. But like, once he made this joke and the media started attacking him, instead of... Of succumbing, he stood his ground and he's, and he's and breaking he's, the frame. And he, and he punched back. And right. you have to think about it, he had a very mainstream audience. He still right. does. And he's essentially red pilling all these kids into this is what the media narrative is. This is why like they're not you're not allowed to make jokes anymore. Right. And if you can't make jokes, you're living in a totalitarian and state. And it's terrible. Yeah, it's a terrible life. I mean, it's just not enjoyable. If you watch like comedies from the eighties, they're so much better than comedies now. Think about Andrew Dice Clay. Andrew Dice Clay was awesome, right? <laughs> yeah, and that's you have a matter Eddie, of opinion, but Eddie, he's a great guy. You have Eddie Murphy and then further on you have Chris Rock and some of these comedians won't even, they refuse to perform on college canvases because it, they say people can't take jokes anymore. They'll yeah. get offended by everything. Just just look at 80s movies, you know, and people were just more open and they were just yeah. more fun loving. 
And, and that's because you're free. You can express yourself. That was what the glory of America was. You know, it was more free than anywhere else. And you could relax, man. And you could hang out on the beach. And it, it was it was wonderful. Um, and we lost that. We became more rigid, totalitarian, oppressive. And that, that takes the vitality right out of life. You know, just the same things that we criticize North Korea for. So it was never it was never a good deal. It never really had legs, but it was very powerful. Yeah, think about the inversion we were talking about earlier. You know, you have the Martin Luther King uh, Jr. coming out and saying, part of the civil rights movement, saying we need to be more united, not we have to fight against any type of segregation. And yeah. now it's completely done a 180. Uh, instead of being for unity and against segregation, and we're now in favor of segregation now we're starting to see colleges build black only dorms and black only safe spaces and you start dividing people by the color of their skin right well, yeah and people who would normally think of themselves as like classical liberals oh okay so i'm supposed to judge people by the content of the character but now i have to judge them by the color of their skin they, it's a lot of mental gymnastics and yeah. they're like this is not an authentic point of view it's like what are, what are my objective values that's right i have none that's right, and that it's the result of the, the the mainstream media having a very narrow frame that they're they're pushing on everybody, you know, um, and yeah, it's the contrast of the the victimization, and therefore we need protection in our amongst our own race uh, with uh, integration, you know, that completely contradicts the principle of integration, which they're pushing. Uh, I don't know, two decades and, and, earlier, and then, three and decades, then, four decades. So if we're gonna separate by group by race. But xenophobic for us, to, for the right to say, hey, maybe we have too many illegal immigrants coming in here. Maybe right. we need to think about how our immigration system works. And they say, oh, you're a white supremacist. How dare you think about that? They made their bed and now they have yeah. to sleep in it. Yeah, you know? we're all, all that's happening is that, you know, the right says, okay, you're applying this standard to yourself. Why doesn't this standard apply to us as well? Yeah. And it's that questioning that's making people wonder, it's like, why is there a double standard? Yeah. As we as we discuss this, I think they're they're more weaker than than we ever imagined, and they seem so strong. Um, but I think the key is that that ability to break the mold, to break the frame, and that's what we experience. The same thing in our everyday life. So what we saw on the television screen or the silver screen came back to our lives in that we were afraid to move outside of the lines drawn for us in society. And because we had experiences that required us to move outside of that little box, we weren't living in a little paradise. Um, we needed to express that. That's normal. And we express it with hopes that it will change. And that, that's normal. We need to evolve and adapt it to our environment to overcome the problems that we have. And um, so what I think what's happening at that macro level is that these incredible personalities that Trump has surrounded himself with are breaking that frame more and more every day. And, and people like us sitting at home are cheering them on. Like, yeah, think, love it. think about there was this great clip from when Sarah uh, Huckabee Sanders went on The View. Yeah, amazing. And, and at first, okay, The Viewer trying to be very politically correct. Oh, wow, we're so, like, congratulations on being, like, the first mom to be a press yeah, secretary. Butter her up. Yeah, you know, butter. Oh, it's gonna be nice. We're gonna take care of you. Yeah, right. Yeah, Jesus. right. We're not gonna do that. And, yeah, and we're gonna put you off guard, and then we're yeah. gonna slam you. Yeah, but actually, what ends up happening was that Sarah Huckabee Sanders ends up slamming them. She says, like, you know, she she compares the the mainstream media to children and saying that, oh, I keep on hearing the same question over and over again throughout the day. Right. And then she says, and then the view panel afterwards tries to slam. Oh, how can you support Trump when he says all these awful things about women? But Sarah Sanders, she, does, she stands her ground and doesn't let that be her frame of response. She says, you have to look at the actions of President Trump. Think about, like, he made me press secretary. You have to also look at Kelly, 
Kellyanne Conway, who was essentially was the, she was the campaign manager and she was the first uh, woman to really be a campaign manager and get this man elected into the presidency. You have yeah. other women like who he promoted in the real estate industry uh, when he was doing all of his development work at a time when women were not allowed, uh, weren't even really being considered for these types of right. roles. And then afterwards, she's saying, you know, it's really important that we're authentic, that we stick to to who we are and don't try to be influenced by these outside forces. And after that statement, you saw the view instead of saying, yeah, you're right. We, we should be authentic, believe who we are. They all look shocked They're and stunned. sullen. They're like, yeah. like, okay. Because yeah. the frame didn't work, right? And um, you can look at it. There are two levels, right? One is verbal and one is, uh, let's say, emotional. Um, and so there's the argument and then there's the way you feel about it. Um, and so uh, over a long period of time, um, you had this dissonance verbally because they would frame Trump as being a sexist, but yet how could he be a sexist if he hired these women, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, press secretary as a woman, right? So you have this, uh, you have this uh, dissonance there, but emotionally they still kind of held the frame because people would think that, but they didn't really feel it, you know? Um, and they would still be able to berate and abuse with these accusations that seem to carry emotional weight, which is really important here. You know, and whereas what I saw on this view episode was that Sarah Huckabee Sanders, because she's so authentic, was able to take over both the verbal and the emotional space. And that left them stunned. And you could see the paradigm, the, the frame that they were trying to promote completely shatter. And they were left like it, it looked like it was a setup. You know? Yeah, they, they thought it was funny because the, the tables had completely turned on them. They thought they were going in for a nice sucker punch. Yeah. And Sarah Sanders and came back out. with the knockout. They got knocked out. And it's happening more and more. And we're seeing it more and more frequently that that the people, representatives of the Trump administration are knocking out the mainstream media when they attempt to frame. Yeah. You even talk like think about when uh, Anthony Scaramucci went on the Colbert Report. Yeah, exactly. Everyone was booing him and he, and he goes and it's like, yeah, let's bring the booze up it. a little he bit. He enjoys it. He yeah. enjoys it. Go ahead. Take yeah. it because he's a strong personality. Yeah. He, he's, right? a, he's a strong guy from Brooklyn. That's right. Brooklyn guys are yeah. so tough. Yeah. He, he's tough. He's he's tough as nails. And he, yeah. Old school. Yeah. And he goes in and he, he, he owns it all. He's like, yeah. I come in here with no regrets. Because he even he's jokes authentic. about this is, remember, he people attribute him being fired to uh, because of that uh, phone call where he said all this right. ludicrous, uh, right. more just obscene things, yeah. which I don't really think is the case is why he left. But right. he, he owns this idea of being a front stabber. I mean, he even joked with uh, Stephen Colbert. He brought in like uh, this knife in a case with Stephen's name on it yeah. and joking that Scaramucci is going to front stab him. Yeah. And that's who he is. He's not trying to put on a presentation that's acceptable to the uh, the frame of the media, to Colbert, to who he's supposed to be, what we consider as normal. He's being himself, you know, and he's a good guy. He's a successful guy. He's a smart guy. He's a capable guy. But he's a bit different. He's quirky. That's good. We're yeah, different. We exactly. need to accept and, and, other and people. And Colbert tries to push him into a corner because Scaramucci said, it's like, yeah, I think I probably would have been a little bit um, harsher in my condemnation of, of the white supremacists. And Stephen Colbert was trying to say, why, if, if Trump is such a media uh, master, why why did he miss such a softball? And Scaramucci is like, well, he he did attack him. Like he, yeah. well, he did denounce him by saying, like, oh, there's violence on all these sides. And he sticks to his ground because... Colbert was trying to get Scaramucci to turn on his boss. Right. But the problem is, Anthony Scaramucci is a very loyal person. Right. So Which he wasn't going to do that. He was going to stand his ground. And he was, 
he was going to ensure that whatever his views were, were that's what he was going to say. And Trump is also different. And Scaramucci talks about that. And yeah. Corey Lewandowski would talk about that. Many people say we're going to let Donald Trump be Donald Trump. And that's respectful because different people are different. And that's the thing with this, this media frame, this racism kind of thing. It's a prejudice. They're always trying to put people into a frame with other people that's very narrow. It's a, it's a straw man. Uh, it's artificial. And what's happening now is people are like, no, I'm more complex than that. You, you can't do that. And, and Donald Trump's a different person, and I don't have complete control over him, and nor should I. And that's honest, and, and it breaks the ability of the media to frame him and put him in a position uh, or represent him in a way that he's not. But the good thing is, I think, that uh, what as that's happening, the same way that people would emulate um, what they saw on the television screen in their own lives... Um, that's going to also occur as this new phenomenon is happening. And that gives uh, young conservatives or young curious people or anybody, curious people that want to discuss the experiences they have in their life, breathing room and opportunity to express themselves where otherwise they couldn't. And I think that will lead to a, a groundswell, a cultural change. And I think the benefits w that, that people receive uh, that will accrue to the movement. Because when people have an A and B test, it's like, okay, I was repressed under the former administration, that, that media coordination system, and now I feel free and, and life is getting better and I just feel more actualized. It's, it's My life is better. Um, that will give it more support. And when peop, other people see their success and that, that their lives are getting better, they'll want to emulate that as well. And that will bring more people into the movement and hopefully through this democratic process, we can right the ship and move in the right direction. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a good way of putting it because now that the media narrative is falling apart, actual foundational support for the media is really not as strong and for the left is not as strong as people thought it was, the right is starting to become cool again. They're winning the emotional war. They're winning yeah. the war of um, accurate, accuracy of, you know, this yeah. is what... The, the actual level, facts the are, yeah. yeah, we're winning the argument. Winning the argument. That's, that's what's happening. And so once you start building up all the facets you need to have a successful narrative, we're yeah. getting there. We're building up the steps. We haven't mastered it yet, but the, the direction is, is looking good. And the fundamentals are good. You yeah. know, it's authentic, it's organic, and that's, that may change in time, you know, but at the moment we're in a renaissance and it's, it's really, it's working. And so it has a lot of potential. It has a lot of combustible energy behind it, beneath it, moving it. Whereas the left is completely artificial and, and vacuous. And you, and, and you can see that. And I think, um, I think that will continue to erode the left and, and bring people naturally over to the right. And it's, and it's exciting time and things can only get better. Yeah, and yeah. I think I think it's good to to end this episode on a on a positive note. On a positive note. Thank so thank God. you all for listening in to uh, this uh, next episode of uh, the Unfiltered Podcast, and we uh, look forward to having you listen in to our next episode. And this is our conversation, unfiltered.